This cold open is to let you know that this particular episode of Messy Scripture deals with issues of rape and murder. My name is Heidi and I love stories. Funny stories and sad stories and what on earth just happened stories. As it turns out, the Bible is full of them. After two decades in Sunday school, plus a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready, this is Messy Scripture. An interesting thing about David's household, and in fact many royal households of the day, is that the children of the king associated themselves more closely with their mothers than with their father. Because, you know, the king had several wives and a ton of concubines, but they had only one mom. This is important because Absalom, David's son, had a sister named Tamar, i.e. they had the same mother. One of David's other sons, Amnon, who was not a full sibling of Absalom and Tamar, fell in love with Tamar. Let's just make it clear here that it's still his half-sister. And this is the part where David should step in and be like, Amnon, get your head out of your ass. Or any of Amnon's friends should have been like, dude, that's your sister. Gross. But no, Amnon is head over heels for Tamar, and he's so in love with her he's sick, which tells me that it's not love, it's just lust. Anyway, Amnon asks his cousin for advice. His cousin Jonadab, who is the son of Shimea, David's brother. I want to emphasize how much this is staying in the family, because... Ugh... Anyway, Jonadab's advice is that he should just take Tamar. And Amnon's like, yeah, but she's a princess. I can't just take her. And Jonadab's like, here's what we're going to do. You're going to pretend to be sick, like on your deathbed sick. And when your dad is like, what's wrong, Amnon? Be like, the only thing that will make me feel better is if my sister Tamar comes and feeds me. Believe it or not, it worked. So Amnon goes to bed and is sick, quotes, And he asks for his sister Tamar to come and feed him. He is also using the word his sister. And Tamar comes with a bowl of soup that she's made because, you know, her brother's sick in bed. She feels sorry for him. Poor Amnon. Poor baby. Amnon sends everyone out of the house so that it's just him and Tamar. And when Tamar comes to feed him, he grabs her and tells her to have sex with him. And I quote, Come to bed with me, my sister. And she responds, Brother, don't do this. You can ask the king for my hand in marriage. He'll give me to you. It's okay. Yes, apparently the children of David think that David will give half-siblings in marriage to each other at this point, which, while Abraham and Sarah were half-siblings, that was different time, fewer people, lots of reasons. But Tamar is at this point trying to do anything she can to save her honor, and Amnon doesn't listen and forcibly rapes his sister. And when he finishes, he hates her. He hates her more than he'd ever loved her. And he goes to throw her out of the house. And she begs him to at least marry her. Because this is not about love or care. This is about honor. She's a princess. He's a prince. For both of them, this is terrible. This is not a good situation. But Amnon won't listen. He won't marry her. Even though she tells him that not marrying her would be far worse than just raping her and then marrying her because at least in that circumstance there was a societal element to it that they could they could hide under there was something about the way that the society worked that it would be passable and I don't mean to make that sound like it should be passable in modern day this is her desperately trying to save and salvage her reputation, which she has preserved quite well up until this point, when her brother forcibly rapes her after pretending to be ill. And Amnon throws her out, and she leaves weeping out loud, 
sobbing in the streets, tearing at the long robe she wore that indicated she was a virgin daughter of the king. And she goes to her brother Absalom. And Absalom takes her in and is like, don't, don't worry about Amnon. He's a, he's a dick. Absalom figures out that Amnon raped her. And so Absalom moves Tamar into his house and she is now under his protection. King David hears what Amnon did and is angry, but he doesn't actually do anything about it. So I'm not sure how angry King David is because this one time somebody said that he wouldn't share his food with King David and he saddled up to kill the guy. So while he is very angry, he doesn't do anything. And Absalom won't speak to Amnon. He hates him for obvious freaking reasons. Two years go by and Absalom is holding his peace. And then he comes up with a plan. He's had sheep and shepherds that he manages and he asks and invites King David and the entire royal family out to sheep shearing party basically. And King David is like, it'd be a huge hassle for you. Don't worry about it. Like, we don't need to be there. And Absalom continues to press and continues to press. And David gives him his blessing to go. He's just like, "Ah, we won't be there. And so then Absalom's like, well, at least let Amnon come. And King David's like, why do you want Amnon there? But Absalom keeps asking and keeps asking. And then King David lets Amnon and all of his other sons go to party with Absalom. Absalom then commands his servants to kill Amnon once he's drunk. And it works! Amnon gets drunk, Absalom's servants kill him, and all of the king's other sons get on their mules and run for the hills. The message gets twisted on its way back to David, and David hears that all of his sons are dead, and that Absalom has killed all of his sons, and he tears his clothes and falls to the ground, and then Jonadab, remember our friend the enabler? He's like, don't worry about it, man, just Amnon's dead. Absalom had it out for Amnon because he raped Tamar. Duh. And Absalom flees to Geshur and hides out for three years because he's worried that King David is going to kill him. Like, Absalom is so unconvinced that his father is going to understand his side that he runs away from home because, yes, he murdered a prince. But if you look at back episodes or back scripture, either way you want to look at it, like, this has historical precedent, you know, with Shechem and Judah and Levi and Simeon taking out that whole city because they raped, well, one person raped their sister. It makes sense that Amnon would take this vengeance, but King David does want to go to Absalom after he's comforted from Amnon's death, but it takes three years. Eventually, Joab, David's general, is like, David's still upset about Absalom. So he sends a woman in disguise to tell David a story similar to what Nathan did so that David would send for Absalom. And basically the story is like, I had a son, but then I sent him away and now I'm going to go to the grave without seeing him again. And David's like, that's so sad. And she's like, can I tell you something about Absalom, your son? He's like, oh, shit. David sends for Absalom and allows him to live in the city of Jerusalem, but doesn't allow Absalom to actually come before him into his presence. A quick word about Absalom. This is where the story tells us, so I'm going to tell you here. Absalom is the hottest dude that ever did live. He has no blemish from head to toe. Literally, sole of the foot to the tip of his head. Every year he gets a haircut and his hair weighs several pounds. He's got sons. He's got one daughter, who he's named after his sister, Tamar. Really good dude. And he is just the hottest of the princes. And King David, for two years, won't let him come into his presence. So... Absalom tries to get David's attention, i.e. 
sends for Joab, like tries to get Joab's attention, which will then eventually get David's attention. Sends for Joab once, Joab won't come. Sends for Joab again, Joab won't come. And then he's like, huh, Joab's my next door neighbor. Tells his servants to go light Joab's field on fire. And then Joab shows up all in a huff and is like, why did you friggin' light my field on fire? And Absalom's like, excuse you, why did I come back from Gesher? I was fine there and I'm not allowed to even see my dad. What's the point of me being in Jerusalem? And Joab's like, you have a solid point, good sir. Sometimes when I think about what Absalom says and does, I got to remember he's hot. Like, he's so hot. I'm sure he was getting away with some stuff. At that point, Joab does talk to David. David brings Absalom home. Absalom falls before David. And apparently, everything's okay. Except for it's not. It's been, what, seven years since this whole thing with Tamar? Absalom's not happy. And he's seen how David rules Israel, i.e. doesn't rule over his own family. How can he be king? This is Absalom's logic. So he gets himself a chariot and some followers, about 50 of them. And instead of being a good prince and being near his father, Absalom would get up and sit by the gates of Jerusalem and would offer judgments whenever people would come to see David, he'd be like, oh, where are you from? Where are you going? Where are you going to see the king? Oh, he's real busy. But if I was king, I wouldn't be too busy. And so the people started to love Absalom, the hot one, over David, his father. Then, and it's been four years of Absalom doing this, so now he has the entire country in his pocket. He asks his father, the king, who is apparently unaware of this conspiracy, if he can go worship at Hebron because he had made a vow to God that if he was allowed to come back to Jerusalem, he would go worship at Hebron. And David's like, yeah, absolutely, go with my blessing. But Absalom sends out messengers that when the trumpets sound, the people are to declare that Absalom is king at Hebron. He is going to overthrow his father in a sudden coup. Finally, word gets to David and he's like, we got to leave. We got to leave now. Him and his household flee Jerusalem and he leaves behind only 10 concubines to keep house. Literally, that's the word, to keep house. And him and his people flee. They run to the Mount of Olives, and that's where they're going to be. And now at this point, the whole household of David is, is a fragmented mess. Israel is a fragmented mess. But Ittai the Gittite has gone with David. And David was like, don't come with us. We don't know where we're going. We don't even know if we're going to win this war. And Ittai's like, nah, dude, I'm with you. God's with you. I'm with you. And then when they get to the Mount of Olives, at the point where God was worshipped, which is up at the summit, uh, Hushai, the archite, came to David, upset, weeping as he comes. And he's like, let me be with you. And David's like, no, go back to Jerusalem and tell Abathar and Zadok that you are on my side and you guys trick Absalom into doing stupid things. Tell me what Absalom is going to do. Be my spy. And Hushai is like... I can do that. So he sneaks back into Jerusalem just as Absalom is entering the city. Side note, at this point, Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, shows up. Remember, Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, David's best friend who died when Saul died. And David's like, where's Mephibosheth? And Ziba lies and tells him that Mephibosheth has allied himself to Absalom. And so David seizes Mephibosheth's lands and is like, yeah, if I'm still king, you get all of it. And so Ziba has somehow wormed his way into becoming a very powerful person through this coup. Ugh! I hate this guy. And then, as David's on the road, Shimei, 
a man of Saul's house is following them and cursing David. And everyone's like, we should kill him. And David's like, he's either been told by God to curse me, in which case we shouldn't kill him. Or he's just talking out his ass, in which case it doesn't matter if we kill him. Because what he says doesn't matter. So picture it. David's friend is left in Jerusalem to spy on his son who took the throne after David rejected him for murdering his brother who raped his sister. He's got a member of Saul's household that, quote, betrayed him. And so now the servant has everything. He's got a follower from Saul's household who's cursing him. David is in a bad spot and he is still somehow trusting that God's going to get him out of it. Spoiler alert, he is. But first, Absalom has to ruin everything even farther. When he gets to Jerusalem and he sees the concubines and he asks for advice, he got it from Ahithophel, who was one of David's counselors who has now defected. Hushai shows up and is like, I serve the king. And Absalom's like, you're a friend of the king? And Hushai's like, no, you the king, the people's choice. Woo! And Ahithophel's like, I've got some advice. And Absalom's like, I'm listening. And he's like, you got to make yourself a stench to your father. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to have sex with his concubines on the roof. And Absalom's like, dope. So they pitched a tent on the roof and Absalom has sex with all of David's concubines on the palace roof in Jerusalem. At this point, Ahithophel's word was like God's word. He had like Samuel level power. And both David and Absalom would have taken his advice hands down. So it's not surprising that Absalom does this. It's also the most extreme version of David did something in secret with Bathsheba, and now Absalom is doing it in very public. And while Bathsheba had been bathing on the roof somewhere that would be you know, kind of visible, maybe, Absalom is making a show of his sexual prowess. He is literally taking his father's throne in the most literal way that he can. After Absalom's little sex party... Ahithophel advises him to take 12,000 men and to slaughter David's encampment by night because David's not going to be ready for it. And this is the chance that they've got the element of surprise. They can go now. And this is good advice. Hushai's advice is bad because he wants Absalom to fail. And also God wanted Absalom to fail. And so Absalom hears Hushai's advice, which is this. Don't attack David by night. Don't attack David immediately. Try to gather the whole country to you because David and his mighty men are experts in war. And if you try to attack tonight, you won't have the advantage of numbers. So you need to gather yourself an army and then you'll be able to take on your father. Absalom hears this advice and thinks it's good. Ahithophel hears that advice and thinks it's real bad. We're going to get back to him in a minute. After Hushai sends some spies who also have to hide in a well that a woman covers up with some grain so that they can sneak off to David, they tell David what Hushai said, what Ahithophel said, and David crosses over the Jordan so that now they are in a much safer position because he didn't actually anticipate Absalom attacking by night, and had Absalom done it, he would have won. When Ahithophel hears what has actually happened, that David has crossed, and that his advice wasn't heeded, he was like, well, I'm screwed. David would never trust him again. Absolutely. He would be executed. So he goes home, sets his accounts in order, and hangs himself. This is one of the few suicides in the Bible. True suicides. Ahithophel has betrayed the Lord's anointed. Ain't no coming back from that. And now, finally, we come to the battle between David and Absalom. Well, more accurately, there was Absalom on one side, Ittai, Abishai, and Joab on the other. Because the king was like, I'll go out. And they're like, David, if you're out there, all of Absalom's people are just going to be chasing you and we're going to be screwed. So no, you stay back 
and the three of us will command your army in thirds, an army which, by the way, they had just mustered out of nowhere because it turns out Absalom didn't have all the people in his pocket. And they're like, we'll handle this. And so David asks them just to be gentle with Absalom, like to capture him because David wants to reconcile with his son. Yes, this is about kings and kingdoms, but this is also about fathers and sons. To make a long story short, Absalom was not a good military commander and had no serious experience, so he got his butt whooped. And the men of David pushed Absalom's army into the forest, which ended up killing more people than actually the army did that day. Like, it was just a hot mess. And some of David's servants ran into Absalom, and they chased him through the forest, and his long, luscious, glorious locks got caught on a branch, and Absalom was then hanging by his hair in a tree. And Joab then sees Absalom, and Absalom tells Joab to bring him before the king because he wants to be a suppliant. He thinks he can get away with this, or at least kind of get away with this. And Joab's like, I don't have time to deal with your bullshit, and stabs Absalom through the heart. Then the other servants come and make sure that Absalom is definitely very dead. They throw his body in a pit, and that is the end of Absalom's conspiracy. He had while he was still alive, set up a monument to himself because he didn't have any sons to carry on his line. And so Absalom's monument was still standing at the time that Second Samuel was written. Joab sends messengers back to David who tell him that his son Absalom is dead. And David mourns and weeps and tears his clothes. He is unconsolable until finally Joab shows up and basically shakes him by the shoulders and is like, we all risked our lives for you. Your son tried to kill you. You can't behave like this in front of Israel. You're ruining everything and you're disheartening the people. And it gets through to David that he he can't celebrate rebellion. He can't mourn his dead son the way that he wants to and still be king of Israel. He has to separate that out. And so he is finally able to return to Jerusalem, return to his house, and start to deal with the aftermath of Absalom's conspiracy. To make a long story short, he forgives Shimei, who was part of Saul's household. He finds out from Mephibosheth that Ziba was lying and stole his donkeys. Remember, Mephibosheth is, is crippled, so he can't follow without a mount. And so David gives back most of Mephibosheth's stuff, but Ziba still gets out of the deal pretty well. And David doesn't put any of the other enemies to death because he's like, I am well aware that I am king. I am definitely king of Israel. And there is no question about that at this point. When he finds out what Absalom had done to his 10 concubines, he takes them basically out of the sex roster. So he still cares for them, but David did not ever lay with any of them again because that's gross. And also because what Absalom had done was truly horrible. So they got to live in retirement in the king's house as inactive concubines. Sure, that's how we're going to phrase it. Someone who had helped David while he was on the run from his son Absalom was offered a place at the king's table. And he's like, sire, that's very nice of you, but I'm 80 years old. I can barely taste. I'm not going to be alive that much longer. Instead of taking me and blessing me, bless this guy Chimham with all the gifts he were going to give me because he's young and he can enjoy it. And David's like, that seems fair. And the men of Israel are pissed because Judah is getting all these blessings out of David coming back to the kingdom. And Judah's like, shut up. He's our close relative. And also, where were you? Oh, yeah, allied with Absalom. 
And then this guy, Sheba, is like, we don't care about David. Blah, 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 blah. Long story short, Joab kicks his ass. And once that rebellion's put down, it seems like the aftermath is finally squared away. It's not. There's still going to be a little bit more aftermath of David's sin with Bathsheba. But for now, David is king in Israel again. The sins of his son Amnon and the sins of his son Absalom have been paid for in blood. There's no coming back from that. And David as a father is incredibly questionable. Because David, in fact, failed his children so spectacularly as a father, he failed his nation as a king. And I don't think that's a bad way to wrap up the episode. To remind ourselves that living a private life is only a practice for living our public life. And the more power you have as a person, the more your private life and the way that it goes affects your public life. To the point that you may end up on the run out of your capital city because your son wants to kill you. Next episode. God's verdict on the end of David's reign and on David's life as a king. And we'll also find out which of David's living sons is going to take over the throne when David passes away. Stay tuned for the next episode of Messy Scripture.